In its long history of use, it has aided in healing virtually every known illness and injury, including some serious problems like multiple sclerosis, heart disease, and cancer, as well as skin problems, cuts, bruises, broken bones, headaches, cold, flu, sore throat, sunburn, fatigue, insomnia, impotence, poor memory, lack of confidence, confidence etc., etc. I got a direct cure, quote. It'll <laughs> yeah. cure what ails you. Come on down. <laughs> What's up, guys? It's your friend Jordan. With me, as always, is my boy Jared. How are you doing, Jared? I am doing well today, Jordan. Thank you for asking. So, Jared, I don't know how you're doing in your life. You're feeling good? You're feeling sick? You got COVID or anything? I don't have COVID, but lately I've had like just, I just feel kind of, I'm like something's blocked in me. So, what if I told you that I knew of a revolutionary healing technique? developed by a Buddhist monk in rural Japan and that this technique, it would allow anybody, even with like a tiny amount of training to heal their friends and family. And you can even do it on yourself and you don't need any equipment. You can do it anywhere at any time. You don't even need to be in the same room as the person you're healing. Will it take care of my blockage? Yeah. It'll take care of literally anything that's wrong with you. And since I know you're a skeptic who likes evidence uh <laughs> this this technique has been studied by peer-reviewed journals and it's practiced in some of the best hospitals and universities in the world including the mayo clinic and johns hopkins what do you have to say about that mr skeptic well i'd say sign me up uh <laughs> well if i'm being really skeptical i'd want to actually be have proof that it is in john hopkins well, in the mayo clinic see, and i'd want to read your journal articles but i mean if those there check you, out, I'm down. There you go again. So the technique I've been describing <laughs> is Reiki. R-E-I-K-I, pronounced Reiki. Um, and it's part of what's known as like kind of a group of treatments called complementary and alternative medicine, or CAM. And that's a classification of things that includes like acupuncture, um, hypnosis, home homeopathy where like the water gets stronger if you dilute it and stuff like that i don't know how familiar you've ever had reiki uh, i've never had reiki myself but i when i was going through my undergrad i had a classmate who like raved up and down about reiki and but she was into like chakras and all this other mm. stuff too and it sounded very woo woo at the time and i didn't pay much attention to it my wife used to work at a um at a doctor's office that specialized in pain management and one of their therapists was a reiki they also did acupuncture but she did reiki as well for some of the patients most of the practice was like typical pharmaceutical or standard kind of pain management but they also offered these alternative medicines hmm. you know what they call alternative medicine that works jordan i think they call it medicine yeah <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> what exactly is Reiki though? I mean, like you kind of gave a brief overview of it, but like what exactly is going on? Like, how does it work? So before we I dive into that, just wanted to explain real quick why we're talking about this. So this is a, a pseudoscientific claim, or at least it appears pseudoscientific, but unlike a lot of things that we examine, this is actually used in the real medical world in the context of real doctors. So you go to get your treatment at, you know, the hospital for your cancer. And then if you want, they'll send you over to the, the Reiki board and you can go get your Reiki if you want. Yeah. And it's also had been studied by 
peer-reviewed journals and they had studies and articles and scientists and all kinds of it's gotten attention basically right uh so we thought it'd be worth breaking down and seeing you know if there's anything to it i mean just because it sounds crazy doesn't mean it's not true so we have yeah. to look at the evidence so we have a claim right uh as to what it is though reiki is a type of energy healing and it's based on the idea that there's a universal unseen life force energy that flows in and through all things. Presumably, mm. it you need some midi-chlorians to talk to it or something. It sounds very much like the force to me. They say the word Reiki means spiritual energy because Rei for spirit and Ki for universal energy in Japanese. That's what that's what I read like everywhere. But I actually have a friend of mine who speaks fluent Japanese. He taught english in japan for like a summer hmm. and so i asked him like what it actually means and he said my friend evan he said ray is like an actual spirit not spiritual key is like the chinese key in the sense that key can mean spirit but like how are your spirits like how are you feeling it's your general attitude if i had to translate reiki i'd probably say spirits mood not spiritual energy so kind of like so, how's your soul doing Right. So there's your class on Japanese for the day. Arigato. Right. Nice. So uh, when you get a treatment of Reiki, it looks a little bit like you're going to get a massage, though they are emphatic that you can do Reiki anytime, any place. What they typically do is they'll take you to like a calm room, maybe dim the lights, some put on some music if you like. Turn off the lights and light a candle. Though they will not tell you to take off your clothes, and Dang. like they are very emphatic. Every I did not see a single place that talked about taking off your clothes. They're all like underlining fully clothed. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's been a problem, but you, you lay down fully clothed in this calm environment, and then what they do is they kind of put their hands over you. It can involve very light touching or no touching, and what they say is happening is they're channeling this spiritual universal life energy into you. So the Reiki practitioner, the person who's doing the Reiki, isn't actually have some powers. They're just kind of like opening up a flow of energy into you. Right. They're like a conduit for okay. this life energy, but it's not coming from them. And which is part of why I guess anybody can do it because anybody can channel it. Now, if you're laying there getting blasted with spirit energy, you know, you might expect to feel something, right? If you're the universal life force is flowing through you. And I was curious what that might feel like. According to the Reiki Alliance, which is like a professional organization for Reiki practitioners, there's many, but that's one of them. The flow may be felt as, quote, any type of sensation, heat, cold, vibration, tingling, unusual heaviness, or sometimes no sensation at all. And <laughs> wait, wait, another, so, so, so some, sometimes it doesn't work. Wait, no. Well, no, it's working. You just so don't I, know that it's working. Well, these feelings can correspond to where the person's hands are relative to your body, or maybe not. So <laughs> basically, if you feel anything anywhere on your body at any time, it's a sign that it's working. But if you also feel nothing, like that's if you feel nothing, that is also a sign it's working. Either way, you're covered. That so is like the most lawyer talk I've ever heard. Here's my logical syllogism. If you feel something, Reiki's working. If you feel nothing, Reiki's working. Therefore, Reiki's working. 
it's a, it, it's all po- logical possibilities. Wow, I mean, that's that's great. I mean, so thanks for coming to the podcast, guys. If you have any questions, yeah, I mean, so far, we're, uh, Reiki's looking really good. I mean, the claims holding up. Yeah, that that's that's what it looked like. It's and and the session times vary. Uh, online, they said it's usually like an hour, and what's supposed to happen is the that energy is supposed to facilitate your body's recovery from various maladies in some way. Sometimes they'll talk about like block chakras or like stored energy, but however they talk about it, the bottom line is it's supposed to make you heal better. So there's energy in the world. It's just kind of bouncing all over the place. And when you're doing Reiki, you're focusing it like a laser beam onto the bad parts. And it's supposed to like the strings and they're supposed to like realign or something. I don't know. Well, they, so to be fair, they are usually pretty open about not fully understanding how it's working. Like that this life force isn't fully understood. We know that they, they claim to know that they're channeling it, but as to exactly what it means physically, that's unknown. It sounds a lot like the force. It really does. It does. But there is one big difference. Reiki takes, it's very easy. Very simple. Like, unlike, like, you're Jedi and it takes your so entire life. So I don't got to go to Tatooine and find some old hermit somewhere and learn from him. Right. Or get rejected by the Jedi Council and then turn into the dark side. And, like, you'd be, like, I don't know what an evil Reiki would be. Ooh. Like, if you're evil Jedi, you're Sith, right? Well, not necessarily. Easy Star Wars fans. <laughs> uh, but in most <laughs> Star Wars properties, the, if you're bad, you're Sith. <laughs> I don't know what a bad like people are rogue, banging on their keyboard right now. Just <laughs> what a rogue Reiki would be, but anyway, uh, because like you said, you're not using your own energy; you're like channeling it. Then anybody can do it. In fact, so if anybody can do it, could I learn how to do it? You could learn. Well, yes and no. So the way that the training goes, there are three degrees, like like levels, basically. You're like black Reiki. belt. Purple belt, brown belt, something kind like that. Kind of, except there's only three. Oh. And, but you don't learn how to do Reiki. And I'm getting all that most of this is from the Reiki Alliance. And some of the information is from the Institute for Reiki Training, if you want to see what so they these have are, to say. These are places that actually certify people as Reiki practitioners. Right. There's no like central organization. It's very loose knit, but these are some of the places that seem reputable as far as Reiki goes. So, you don't learn how to do Reiki. The ability to do it is transferred directly to you from a Reiki master. And you have to get it direct from the master. So you can't learn it from reading a book. And in fact, uh, some of the places I saw discourage students from even taking notes because it's nothing to do with your book learning. It's all about direct transfer from the master. And as you go up in degrees, there are initiations or attunements, they're also called, where they have some kind of mystical ceremony that lets you open yourself to the Reiki and channel it. Hmm. They don't say what those attunements consist of, but something. Well, how'd the first person learn it then? Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, uh, cool. <laughs> but so the first degree teach you how to do the force channeling thing we were talking about with yeah. like the hands and yeah. You know, and that you only need 12 hours of training to do. Ooh, that's, that's so, not bad. Yeah, it was like three, four hour, or maybe four, three hour, one combination. Um, and in that, included in that, you'll get all the various initiations. Then, boom, 
you can go do Reiki on anybody you want, including yourself. After that, you can go on, but they say it's not like you need to, like a second degree Reiki is better than a first degree because the different degrees correspond to different skills. So if all you want to do is the lay on hands thing, then you never need to do anything else. Because once you're doing Reiki, you're, you're doing Reiki. It's not like right. one Reiki works better than another. I, you might be more practiced in it and like be more spiritually attuned and aware, but like there's nothing special about you. It's all about the Reiki and you don't need to be a second degree to do it. So that's the first degree. If you want to pick up a new skill, you can go on to do second degree training and you're supposed to have been a Reiki for about a year, they say. And this one takes a little bit longer. You have to go to a, like a couple weekend seminars. But what it does is it lets you access Reiki mentally by using symbols to achieve distance healing. Wait, you're mentally using symbols? Well, you're no, you're like drawing <laughs> symbols, like these mystical symbols. They oh, say so like Doctor Strange. Yeah, kind of. And they're like a focal point for your Reiki. Like they're saying you could like put the symbol next to the subject or that the subject could have the symbols or it wasn't completely clear how you're supposed to use symbols. I guess you'd have to go to the seminar to know. Yeah. And they also said that they keep the symbols secret. I definitely Googled Reiki symbols and found three mystic looking symbols, but I have no way to verify whether those are the symbols. Those are false symbols that throw you off the track. Very well could be. They said they didn't want it to be like abused or misused or whatever. I don't know how you'd misuse healing, like like healing, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but that's, that's <laughs> you can't charge somebody for a seminar for secret symbols if they're not secret, which is important because the Reiki Alliance that they've got like nine elements of Reiki, the things that are very important for them for their practice, and includes the symbols, the initiations, the oral tradition. Then they say explicitly each of these nine elements is equally important. And one of them is money. Oh. <laughs> Quote, the, this element, meaning money, bridges the material and non-material worlds, offering healing for humanity through the power and energy of money. Hmm. These fees are a part of the form and are the most difficult element for students to reconcile with spiritual practice. This challenges the practitioner to widen the scope of understanding regarding the energy of money and the energetic transmission that occurs when money is exchanged. I know I feel energetic when people give me money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God forbid you want to share your unlimited healing potential for altruistic purposes. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're forgetting element six. All right. But there's a third level, right? Third, yeah, the third degree is just is the master <laughs> level, so, so you become a master Reiki. But they say that is just for teaching. Oh. So if you don't care to teach, no, there's no benefit. No special being skills a, unlocked at level three. Right. You just teach other people. Got right. it. Right. So if if you don't want to teach people, there's no reason to become a master. Cool. So that's kind of how you become a Reiki. But where did Reiki start then? Like. Did it just come out of nowhere? And who was the first person to learn Reiki? Because he obviously didn't have a master to teach him or her, whoever it was. That's true. So it's hard to know for sure what the actual history is because it's been kind of uh, – you get different stories. These details are kind of shared. There's a kind of like a core story that seems to be consistent. So it all started with a guy named – and I'm going to butcher this name, but the best I can do is Mikau Usui. And he was born in 1865, and he was a lifelong Buddhist, and he legit trained at the Buddhist monastery in, like, martial arts. So he was, nice. like, straight crouching tiger hidden dragon 
as a kid. And so he's the guy who came up with Reiki. And some people just kind of brush over how he came. Uh, there's a monument in China that was made by one of his original students, the ones that learned it from Mikao. I don't know if Mikao is his like, first name or Usui. I'm going to say Usui. I apologize if it's the wrong one. He, he's but, not around anymore to get upset. Right. <laughs> I, I, th- I think like you would actually reverse it if you wanted the analog English first names. I've, I'm probably wrong. I'm just, I have 50, 50 somebody chance. Somebody else right. is typing on their keyboard right now. Yeah. <laughs> 50. I definitely should have looked that up. 50, 50 chance being right. I'm going with the Sui. So he, one of his original students commissioned a monument and has kind of like the history of Usui on there. And that monument claims that he went up on Mount Kurama, which is a mountain, I believe in Japan, that's spiritually significant. And he fasted for 21 days. And at the end of that, he had like a spiritual awakening, like a vision, basically. And he, he it indicates he had a powerful light that like entered his mind through the top of his head. And it magically bestowed the knowledge of Reiki on him. Hmm. So he came off the mountain and knew how to do Reiki. And he tried it on his friends and family and it worked. And that monument also claims he was like a wonder kid, basically like childhood genius. But anyway, oh. that's that's how he got Reiki. Seems like a pretty cool dude, actually. So after he got his magic powers, however he got them, he started teaching students in Japan. He stressed five precepts. Just for today, do not anger. Just for today, do not worry. Be humble. Be honest in your work and be compassionate to yourself and others. Those seem like pretty good principles. I could get along with that. So originally Reiki was a system like spiritual growth and involved a lot of discipline. You know, me as a Buddhist monk, so it makes sense. Yeah. And the idea was that if you became spiritually more fulfilled and better then physical and emotional mental healing would just kind of naturally come out of that. In addition to like the Reiki, the way we've been describing, that was what it was. So he did his thing. One person he treated of some kind of life-threatening disease was Chujira Hayashi, who was a retired naval officer. And that guy also became a Reiki master. And then he wanted to bring Reiki to the West. And Usui was all about that because he wanted Reiki to be available for everyone. That was what Usui wanted. So Hayashi is credited with developing the system of Reiki from that spiritual discipline that Usui had to a more practical system where it's more focused on the magic healing hands part. Uh, So in addition to that, Hayashi also came up with the innovation of charging money. So that's where the the money comes (laughs) in. Oh, I see. Now, yeah. now, supposedly that was because people take their Reiki more seriously if money's exchanged, and I'm sure there was no other motivation whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> then there's one more important figure from Hayashi. So we went to Usui, who was the first guy. 1865. Right. Well, Got that's this. when he was born. So, so badass martial arts monk. Right. Boom. To Hayashi, who was a naval officer, he came to the West, and then... He taught Takata, who was the first female Reiki, and she kind of organized Reiki, gave it the three-degree system we have today, and she also decided, had a huge revelation, hey, what if I lied about it? So she, yeah, harnessing the power and energy when someone tells a lie. She lied about Reiki's origins. Basically, what she did was she told everyone that uh, Usui was a Christian minister, who is like channeling the power of Jesus. And she basically rewrote the history to be more Christian. 
Well, I mean, if with, you're going to sell it to a Christian audience, I mean. Yeah, exactly. She was trying to sell it to post-World War II America, so she made it Christian. And somehow it ended up back not being Christian. Somewhere well, along the mo- Mostly. If you go to some places, sometimes you'll still find the the Christian story variant. told. <laughs> yeah. Right, the Christian variant. But it's mostly back to Eastern spirituality. So this, I mean, it's a pretty crazy story, like how it came about. I would have thought it would have been a much older practice, just like thinking about like chakras and, you know, all the stuff. And but, it, it definitely shares a lot of language with more like ancient kind of Eastern traditions. It kind yeah. of uses the same sort of verbiage, which makes sense because it came from a guy who was steeped in that culture. So right. it, but that it, makes sense. Fairly new practice in human history, actually. So Right. So I guess that's cool. And it got a lot of steam and stuff. And it's obviously still around today. But we do have to ask the question, though. Does it actually work? Well, I talked to my sister, who has a friend. And that friend's cousin, she... (laughs) (laughs) I know a guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, as always, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And this this claim is that there's this mystical, undetected energy field that powers all things and people are channeling that energy to induce healing that is a big claim because it would require us to like rewrite physics that they invoke like quantum weirdness to try to explain it but well the reason they do that is because there's no way to test it we have no instrumentation that can actually pick up this energy field or right Right. yeah but to be fair that it's possible that there's a it, it's possible that maybe this universal energy field stuff is nonsense, but there's something about what they're doing that isn't that energy field, but is still beneficial. So that's possible too. Yeah. Um, but in any case, we need evidence that, that these claims are true. Right. And like we mentioned before, Reiki has been the topic of some peer reviewed research. Like it's actually been looked into. Um, so we're going to dive into some studies here to examine the evidence and see if it works. Before we do that, I want to really quick uh, go over some language. So if, if you go into um, studies, especially if they're dealing with psychology, and most of these are dealing with like anxiety and pain, mm-hmm. uh, it can be difficult to compare effects between different studies. So like these guys felt a little bit better and these guys felt a lot a bit better, but which, you know, Right. It, it depends on if like they're using a Likert scale or whatever they're doing. Right. To... And how many people you have and like all this stuff. So yeah. in order to make it easier to compare study to study and see what the effects are, they uh, scientists in that field have come up with several different possible methods. They're kind of grouped together as called uh, effect size. And so I'm getting my information from a paper by a guy named Ferguson, an effect size primer from 2009. And... He goes over a bunch of different possible effect sizes. The one we're going to be talking about today is called Cohen's D. Mm. Yeah. Get your Dude. mind out of the gutter. Sorry. I, I totally went there. <laughs> <laughs> so Cohen's D, uh, it, it quantifies how different a control group is from your experimental group. So when you're doing an experiment, you'll have the people you're doing the experiment on with the Reiki or whatever it is you're testing, and you have control where you don't do anything to. So... Basically, what you do is you you take your control group and the difference between that control and the experimental group. There'll be some kind of measurable difference. You divide it by a thing called the standard deviation, which is just like a number of distances from average, and it comes up with a number. 
And this is measuring how large of an effect your thing had. So if something had a big effect, you know, that means it's very important. If something, if the effect gets small enough, then maybe it's just part of the noise, you know, so it's practically no effect at all. Got you. So the numbers attached to that, if you have a Cohen's D of 2.7 or higher, that's considered large by Ferguson, like a big effect. If it's moderate, that's 1.15. So it's kind of in the middle. It has an effect, but it's not a huge effect. And then Ferguson says if it's below 0.41, that's the practical limit where like under this, it's probably not any real effect. So the closer you get to zero, the closer you can confidently say that it has no effect, whatever you're testing. Exactly. So the important things for today, if it's below, if it's around or below 0.4, you can probably ignore it. And if it's like one or more, it, there, there may be something there. Gotcha. There are other metrics. I've converted all of them to Cohen's D, so you don't need to worry about it. But if you read the paper, just be aware they might talk about other things. Look at Ferguson and you can figure it out. So I guess the, the next question would be, what kind of studies can we be doing here? Because it's not like you can actually test you know, somebody, whether or not it healed their cancer, there's a lot of ethical questions with that, right? Right. So the way Reiki's actually used at places like the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, it's used to like make you feel better, help your anxiety, um, help with your stress. And so that's what they test. And as a kind of first, first approach, if this is like a magical, mystical healing energy, like it should definitely be able to handle your anxiety and stress, right? Like if your cancer's gone, your stress is going to go way down, you know? Right. So if their claim is true, we should see huge effects, I would think. So first thing, let's look at a bunch of non-pharmaceutical treatments for cancer-related fatigue is this one. And basically, so these interventions are things that you're probably more familiar with, stuff like yoga and exercise. So you kind of get a feel for what you should expect, right? And so this paper, Exercise and Other Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions by Hill Ficker et al. in 2016, Journal of Sports Medicine. Uh, so they excluded non-touch interventions like Reiki. So excluding all the mystical stuff, here's other interventions. And relaxation exercises were found to be the best. They had a D of 0.77, so a, an effect, but not a huge effect, right? Um, other things that you might be familiar with, aerobic and res resistance training was about a 0.67. Yoga was about a 0.68. Uh, tai Chi was right there at the cutoff, 0.45. Okay. So these are the kind of not drugs, just kind of feel good stuff and how they're helping cancer fatigue. Gotcha. So, I mean, that makes sense. So like, Obviously, cancer fatigue is a serious thing, and so like we're not expecting a huge return here with just doing some relaxation techniques, and uh, a lot of this seems to be like talking, you're doing therapy or yoga, mm -hmm. stretching, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, and it's below one, but above point four one. Right. So you're getting some effect, not a huge effect, but it is beneficial. So that's what non-mystical stuff looks like. Here's the mystical stuff. First one. Massage and Reiki used to reduce stress and anxiety from 2016. And in this study, they tested three groups. This was in Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil. They tested three groups. Group one got massage plus rest. So they got a massage session. Then they just like chilled out. Group two got a massage. Then they went to Reiki after that. And then group three, they didn't get nothing. 
Not even a rep down. So what we're testing here in this study is whether – so what we would expect to see if, we, if the Reiki works, the group that got massage plus Reiki should have a higher effect than the group that just got a massage. Right. And you'd expect them both to be higher than somebody who got nothing. Correct. Okay. So what we see is kind of that. Uh, both the massage types, so group one and group two, had beneficial effects. So they had reduced stress and anxiety. And the Reiki was better. But it was a very, very small difference. So the D there was 1.18 for Reiki versus 1.14 for massage. So very small difference. And this is just one study with one small group of people. Okay. So I mean, you could – is that within like the statistical like you know variance and stuff or do you think that actually has an effect there? I, I didn't – they didn't make a strong claim and I didn't see that they had like an error bar on it. Okay. But from looking at all the other studies, they varied significantly. So I would – based on what I'm seeing in the other studies, I wouldn't put a huge stop on one study that had a 0.04. Because difference. if you just took out the massage, then the effect is 0. 0.04. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's, yeah. So basically massage helps and it does, if Reiki helps, it doesn't help much more than a massage. But Reiki but doesn't hurt. It, it did not hurt, right, from that study. So another one on Reiki, this one was on pain and anxiety. So we did stress and anxiety. This one's on pain. Uh, by Crane and Cohen in 2014. This was a meta-analysis, which is always good when you're trying to find effects. So what a meta-analysis does is it analyzes the analysis. It takes a bunch, it like piles together a bunch of studies and then analyzes them yeah, to pull you have a up bigger the, pool of data to pull from. Yeah. Right, and it kind of tries to find trends and pulls, and you can also get rid of like bad data that way and stuff like that. And so they eventually, after filtering, they got down to seven studies, which is still not a, a lot, but they some. And for them, the effect sizes ranged quite a bit. But the Reiki hit around a between a 0.3 and a 0.8 in Cohen's D for pain and anxiety. So somewhere between not effective and slightly above. And, and somewhat effective. So somewhat somewhere kind of in the same neighborhood as we were seeing uh, stress. Relaxation techniques. Relaxation techniques and yoga. Yeah. yeah. The last one I'm going to look at today, I thought it was super cool. It's a really good idea. This one's two meta-analyses of non-contact healing studies. So not just Reiki, all kinds of non-contact methods, including Reiki, by Rose, Sonics, and Roxburgh, and they did this in 2015. So uh, what's cool about this one is they had a neat idea. It's hard to test on a, what they call whole human tests. So basically you're testing a person. And that's hard because people are subject to the placebo effect or the nocebo effect where like you're expecting something good to happen. So good things happen or the vice versa. You expect something bad to happen. So bad things happen. Also, particularly this kind of thing, it's hard to control for. So like you remember the uh, Templeton foundation did that intercessory prayer test, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that one. And it's even in the write up for that study. They said it would be unethical and also impossible for us to stop other people from praying. These people, like these are cancer patients, so presumably some of their families are praying. So we can't measure the effect of prayer. We can only measure the effect of like our extra prayer, you know. So the sort of same thing happens here. If you're doing a study on Reiki, Reiki can be done by distance, right? So you can't or you don't know what like over the course of the study, maybe the guy went and got a Reiki treatment on the side. You don't know. So th there's a lot of confounding factors when you're trying to deal with humans. But you humans know, it's complicated, not, though. They are. You know who's not going to go down the street to get his Reiki treatment? A yeast sample <laughs> or your bacteria ah. culture <laughs> or the mice in your lab. Nice. 
So yeah. non-humans. Right. So they had two phases to the study. They looked at phase one was non-human interventions. And then phase two, they looked at humans. Hmm. So really cool idea. Before we move on, it should be noted that people who practice Reiki claim that it can work on plants and animals as well, right? We're going to go over some stories later about that, but yes, they, okay. they, they, they say that it should work on plants. So this isn't something like it should Otherwise, work. Otherwise, you're testing it on something that's not working. It does exactly. point. Yeah. Right. We are testing within the, the claims being made, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute. So before they started, they checked the quality of all the studies, and they used a SIGN 50 methodology checklist, which was developed by the Scottish Intercollegiate Guidelines Network. Basically, it's a way of, of systematically checking studies to see how good they are. They submitted it to like a panel of judges. They removed all the like the identifying information so they could rank how good the studies were. Turned out, the lower the quality of the study, the higher a measured effect was for non-contact healing. They were strongly correlated. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But all that said, for non-human beings, so like yeast cultures, bacteria, and stuff, the overall Cohen D was 0.534. So Above the cutoff, but that Ferkins is that of 0.4, but you know, a mild effect, but not a great one, you know. Uh, but when they only looked at the the best studies, the 22 highest, that effect plummeted to 0.232, well below like the 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 practical cutoff. Hmm. So that's this, even more interesting, right? This seems this seems that is suggestive that perhaps for a well designed study it's finding no effect. Well, maybe that's just because like, you know, a human is like open to being receiving the energy. Right. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so that was phase one, non-humans. So phase two, they did, they did look at humans. Again, the study wasn't just Reiki, uh, but here's some numbers. The, the Reiki part of the study for stress and anxiety relief had a D of 0.46. So that's like just above point, the 0.41. Right, just above. Some effect, but not a lot. But now it gets really interesting. See, a lot of the studies they use were written by a guy named Daniel P. Worth. Now, I'm sure I don't need to explain who Daniel P. Worth is to any of our erudite listeners. But in case somehow some of you weren't listening to the paranormal research scene in 2004, uh, <laughs> I'll go over it. You know, for the fringe group that may not be aware. So... <laughs> Worth uh, was like a hugely prolific author of studies on paranormal healing up until like 15 years ago. Like he was the rock star in that thing. Not only was he putting out tons of studies, but almost every time he was finding positive effects. Right. So he's putting up and these are all peer reviewed studies in peer reviewed journals. Some of them were like alternative medicine journals, but some of them were like in legit journals. So that was happening. But as, as things are going on, there's other researchers who were having trouble replicating his results. And so they were like calling him up, trying to like figure out what his methodology was and like get to the bottom of this and weren't getting much in the way of answers. Uh, then in 2004, Worth was arrested and convicted of fraud. And it turns out like this, this whole story blew up. He teamed up with a guy named Joseph Horvath, who is a known long-term scammer. And the two of them used uh, some false identities over the years, including my favorite one was John Wayne Truelove. Oh, wow. That's a great name. 
It is. And not only is it a great name for a false identity, it was an actual real person. It was an infant who died in 1959 and they stole that. So he actually identity. stole somebody's identity to just right. make the name. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He stole so, like the, the, the identity he stole was named John Wayne True Love. Like you can't make this up. <laughs> and, well, if you're going to steal an identity, I mean, come on. Tr- seriously. Like that was just begging. <laughs> like uh, he had no medical qualifications, true love or worth. And it basically it was just a long-term scan they got millions of dollars so their work has been worse work has been thoroughly discredited so uh, worse though, work isn't worth nothing right uh depressingly though if you look into it a lot of these papers have not yet been have not been retracted so they're still in the publishment as if they were good solid research so gotcha that just goes to show that just because it's in a peer-reviewed journal so when you're doing these meta-analysis you might be scraping some of worse work out there into your exactly like peer review is not infallible. It's, it's good, but you know, just because it's in a peer review journal doesn't mean that ipso facto it is true. Anyways, back to the meta analysis. So, uh, our folks that did this meta analysis, they were aware of this. So they decided to do another round of investigation where they took out all of worst work. They took all of this work that had been discredited away. And then that dropped it from like 0.46 to about 0.41. And then they're like, okay, well, now let's – worst work is gone. So now let's look at without worst work, only the best – the highest quality studies. The f- so the final resulting effect on humans for non-contact healing using only the best studies without con men was 0.232. That's below the cutoff though, Jordan. Well below the cutoff. So all of this research that I looked at, moral of the story – it appears from that evidence that Reiki has little to no actual effect in situations where the placebo is not likely to be a factor. So it has an effect, but that that effect is about the same as like yoga and relaxation techniques and other stuff. So, and, and that's the reason why places like the Mayo Clinic and John Hopkins allow them to do this, I guess. Yeah, I think, and I'm not in their heads, so I can't say, oh. But it, it we seems can speculate though. Yeah, this is speculation. But it, it seems probable that it's like, well, it has a beneficial effect. I don't care why it has a beneficial effect. If it's just making them feel better and making them feel less anxious and it's not hurting, then fine. Great. They can get Reiki while they're getting treated for cancer and the patient's better off and everyone's happy. So what's the what's the problem here then? <laughs> I mean, like, it does something, or maybe it does nothing, but it's not hurting, right? Yeah, so when used in a ethical way, like they're doing at Johns Hopkins and Mayo, where it's like, and to be fair, at most of the Reiki organizations that I saw, most places are like, hey, Reiki is good for helping you feel good, but if you're sick, go to a doctor. Like, Reiki is great, but seriously, go to the hospital, you know? That's what most of them were saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> not all of them are. Well, it makes sense too. If you're it, with the modern age and globalization, people realize you put something on the internet, it's going to be scrutinized. But we're still able to find some things out there. I found this one from a website called the Reiki, uh, the International Center for Reiki Training, which is one of the ones I quoted earlier. Yes, and um, <clears throat> they had a quote on there 
And it said, in its long history of use, it has aided in healing virtually every known illness and injury, including some serious problems like multiple sclerosis, heart disease, and cancer, as well as skin problems, cuts, bruises, broken bones, headaches, cold, flu, sore throat, sunburn, fatigue, insomnia, impotence, poor memory, lack of confidence, confidence, etc., etc. I got a direct cure, quote. <laughs> it'll yeah. cure what ails you. Come on down. <laughs> yeah. And so the the issue is when we have these in practice statements like this put out there on the internet where somebody reads and they go, Oh wait, my MS could be cured from this or my cancer, my heart disease. Like you start to get into some really thick muddy waters here. Right. You could definitely get to a point where it moves from what they're doing at the Mayo Clinic where it's like, Hey, you're getting your treatment and you're also doing Reiki to help you feel better. Like you might get a massage and moving from that to, Hey, I got injured. I don't need to go to the doctor cause I'm a Reiki. Right. You know, and the Reiki Training Center has testimonials, and some of them are way out there. <laughs> yes. Let's go over a few, if we, if, shall we? <laughs> yeah. So one example, uh, an example of that. So this lady, whose name is Mary, massage therapist, she, one of her friends got in a car accident and supposedly broke her arm. And she went to the doctor, and basically they didn't fix it. She did Reiki over this woman, and boom. Fracture's gone. Now it's just bruising. The Reiki miraculously yeah. did it. Now, again, in the story, she did go to a doctor, but like, we're showing it. It's a very short step from <laughs> I broke my arm and the Reiki healed it, but I went to a doctor, but the Reiki did it too. I broke my arm, so I'm going to use the Reiki. So there's another one on here where like a lady had these cysts on her ovary and the doctor couldn't fix it. And then they did Reiki and boom, the cysts are gone. It's like magic. Yeah, I found this one on here where this lady's cat's got cancer, and she started doing Reiki on the cats, and now the vet can't believe that the cat's still alive because apparently the woman cured her cat's cancer with Reiki. So we weren't making it up. Animals are supposed to be affected by Reiki. Yeah. Um, it's just – so there's story after story of all these, and some of them are, are really simple. Or... My, my favorite one, my, my absolute favorite one is – a lady was in hospice with lung cancer, which is very sad. Yes, but very she sad. was so hospice, she's, which means she's on her way out, and so they're trying to make her comfortable. And they do the reiki, and the story is like she did this reiki, and boom, she was so much better. And then she left the hospital and went home. And reiki is amazing; she was healed. And like the next sentence is, "So yeah, she died two months later." It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think this uh, this didn't mean what you think it means. Right. <laughs> And, and there's one where, like, that they did a crystal. They planted a, a Reiki crystal next to their pumpkin, and the pumpkin got real big. Like, crazy stuff. So, yeah. But, but like you said, it, when used in an ethical way, it's probably fine. It is an opportunity cost. So if they're using Reiki, they're not using something that, like, actually might have an effective, right. like, an effect, you know? And people are wasting money on research, researching this thing that they isn't doing, doing anything researching how to actually cure cancer right so there is an opportunity cost but on the whole it's probably not a big deal if used correctly but whenever you have a claim that you have access to this mystical power that can heal whatever you it is very easy to use it incorrectly and then you start getting into problems like they have with intercessory prayer where parents aren't bringing their kids to the doctor because they're going to pray over them and the kid dies. Right. 
Exactly. If you feel like your Reiki is working and you get so much benefit out of it, and next thing you know, you're just foregoing actual medicine. Um, yeah, the, the, it's just crazy, this kind of stuff, man. Like, my, my take on it is if you want to use Reiki as a way to relax and calm down, more power to you. Like, Just like I went to a chiropractor a while back, and I went to it knowing that he's not doing any kind of like magical healing tech. Like my back's not going to get any actual better from this, but it feels nice. And he cracks my back and I feel better. And so, okay. Like that's what it was for. I know full well that it's, I could get the same thing with a massage, but this guy's a lot cheaper. So. (laughs) (laughs) And you like that sound when it goes. Exactly. So anyway, uh, that's Reiki. Now, you know, and knowing's half the battle. Go Joe. Right. Uh, so if you're feeling stressed out and you know a friend who's a Reiki and you'd like to lay down and have them almost but not quite touch you, then rock on. But if you have cancer, go to the freaking hospital. <laughs> so that's our show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it and got something useful out of it. If you have used Reiki before and you have some testimonials or maybe you think it's awesome, you can let us know your thoughts on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash reason the number two doubt. If you have any feedback you'd like to give, uh, you can throw it on whatever platform you use to listen to us, whether it's YouTube or a podcast or whatever. Uh, we're always love to get feedback and figure out how to improve or you know give you a show more like what you're interested in hearing about and if you have a topic you want us to cover then let us know and we can probably hit it so the next one will be a religious episode and on that one we're going to turn the camera around a little bit and we're going to take some atheists to tasks uh covering damn atheists yeah those bastards covering some misconceptions that atheists have about religion yeah and if you're saying to yourself wait a second this one seemed pretty religious it was spiritual, not religious. That's right. It's not the same thing. Uh, anyway, enjoy your Reiki. And until next time, remember, you always have reason to doubt.